I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. This odd and wonderful superpower we all have called intuition is not an isolated skill. It opens doors to other abilities and skills. It can help us make better decisions and help us avoid making the bad ones. It seems to also strengthen our ability to listen and connect authentically with others. And as my next guest on the Business of Intuition states, intuition also helps us manage our stress better. Jamie Sussel Turner is a two-time award-winning author, speaker, and International Coach Federation credentialed coach. Jamie has been featured in the New York Times, received an Athena Leadership Award nomination, and has served as a speaker curator for TEDx Asbury Park. Before becoming a professional coach, Jamie served as a public school educator, including 12 years as a school principal. She holds master's degrees in both leadership in education and elementary education. Jamie is also a cancer survivor. She tells with great transparency how cancer was a wake-up call for her and how she needed to manage her stressful life better. And as you will hear, she moved out of education leadership into a very successful coaching business. She shares provocative suggestions about how we should manage stress, and the way she describes the mechanics that cause stress are not only insightful and useful, but it ties us back to the idea that intuition is a door to other skills, in this case, managing stress and living a gratitude-filled life. So Jamie, I am so glad that you're on the show, and I know we've met, uh, I think, a couple of times before at some coaching conferences and you know, you've also written some books on stress and how to manage it. I understand that you've had some um, interesting experiences in your past regarding uh, cancer and some health scares and challenges. And that I was wondering if you could start us off by telling us a little bit about that and how that, how that changed you and how that gave you some different perspectives about how to manage your stress and what the relationship was with stress and health. And tell us your story about that. Sure, Dean, and I love how you're just diving right in. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> so it started back in uh, 2001 with my first cancer diagnosis, which was early stage breast cancer. I was a school principal at the time. I was completely overworking. I was a workaholic. I was about three years into the job, and just on a routine mammogram, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I had chemo, radiation, and a lumpectomy, all while carrying on my role, which was a very stressful job. And so that was the beginning of my wake-up call to be able to get better at how I was handling stress, because I had allowed that job to overtake my life. I lost some of my routines and habits, like healthy eating, I've always been an exercise enthusiast, and during that time, I just couldn't seem to figure out how to get my workouts in. So my lifestyle had changed, and I'm 
I want to be clear to your listeners that I'm not saying that those changes caused my cancer because there's no evidence that 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 is a factual statement. But when you talk about intuition, I felt like it did. It felt to me like I was not taking good care of myself and I needed to figure out how to take better care of myself and also do this job, which I was really passionate about. And so then what happened after that event uh, that led you to writing books and making this part of your practice? So I continued on as an elementary school principal in Fairhaven, New Jersey, which is a great community. I did that job for 12 years and in 2009 decided it was time to make a change. And I was able to retire from public education after a very long career. And I immediately began my practice as a coach and I set up my business and I was simultaneously teaching graduate school at the same time. I didn't have both feet in the coaching world uh, for the first couple of years, but I hit the ground running and um, it was very a very exciting time for me. I didn't ever see myself as being a retired person. It's interesting as in coaching, as you know, you know, they say you should have a niche as a coach and I kind of just took whoever wanted to work with me in the beginning, and somehow I kept attracting small business owners. And so that's, that became my niche initially, and I began to see how what I learned as a leader, as a school principal, was very similar to what they were dealing with as small business owners. And a lot of things around leadership and communication. So I started a blog, and... After about five years of blogging, I realized, I looked at my blog one day and I said, I think I have enough for a book. So I worked with a writing coach and some great experts to turn my blog into my first book, which is called Less Stressed Business, a guide for hiring, coaching, and leading great employees. Fantastic. Can you give us a couple of the, the, the themes that came out of that book? Absolutely. So I ended up finding that I had seven practices that help leaders when they get better at these seven practices, their stress goes down. And I did not even realize until I was working with this writing coach, a shout out to Henry DeVries, who was my first writing coach. And he asked me a powerful coaching question as we coaches do. And he said, what do you hear most often from your clients? And without thinking, I, I said, my clients always tell me how much less stress they have from working with me. And at that point, until he asked that question, I had no idea that I had kind of a superpower in terms of helping people have less stress, but I had no idea how I achieved that. So in writing the book, I went back and interviewed all of my clients at that time to find out what practices were helping them have less stress. And it was around things like hiring, firing, confronting dysfunction among their teams, and communication. And delegation was another big one. So the book has these seven practices with really strong tools to help leaders get better in these seven areas and lower their stress. So you mentioned that, you know, these hiring and firing and delegating, these are sort of the conditions that cause this amount of stress. And you made the point earlier, I think, before we started recording, that it's not about lack of stress, it's how you respond to it. I'm assuming, tell me if I'm wrong, that these seven practices is in a sense a recipe for how to respond to stress. Is that true? And if so, can you give us a few of those practices? Sure. Um, So um, let's just take, um, (laughs) I love this chapter. It's called Ready, Aim, Fire That Employee. 
And as a coach, I, I learned that I had a lot of clients who were small business owners who would come to me and every coaching session was dominated by one particular employee. And it was often the highest performer on their team. It's so interesting how often that happens. I, could, I saw this pattern. And when that one employee was taking over all of these conversations, and I was trying to help the, you know, my client get better at how they were leading, it always came to the fact that that employee needed to go. But the, the business owner was caught in this bind between, oh, it's my highest performer. And they bring in so much revenue, but they're damaging the culture and they're really dysfunctional and nobody wants to work with them. And, you know, and they had this gut feeling, you know, talk about intuition that the person needed to go, but they could not bring themselves to fire them. So I find that first time that um, a leader fires someone, which I had to deal with as a school principal, is just so traumatic. So by walking my clients through how to do that in the best way that they could um, really helped to lessen their stress. And I'll tell you, each and every one of them, it was almost like they could exhale after the person was gone and their whole life opened up in such a more positive way. But you're just, you hit us on a, such an important topic because I, I run into this as well, that you, you hit the nail on the head, I think. You've got this great performer, but they have a toxicity to the culture. And so the sum gain is probably a loss because they're just taking away more than they're giving. And we hire often for skills, not for behaviors, right? I get that. So, so is there something you could tell us about how do I fire somebody when I know I should, it's long since passed. We've already done the performance improvement plans. We've already done, put them on the pips and all the other things we've tried to do. We maybe even given them some other resources and it's still not working out. Do you have any sort of uh, best practices that come from your book about how do we let somebody go? Yes, that's a great question. And I do talk about that in, in, in this book. I think you do it with humanity and you do it very simply. The shorter the conversation, the better. And it, the person should never be surprised that they're being fired. When, when, you when you get to the point of that conversation, they know it's coming because you've done all the things you just mentioned to try and help them become the kind of employee you need them to be. So, and I find my clients feel confident in firing someone when they know that they've done all they can do. I find the biggest problem is they, they go on too much. They go on too long with trying to improve someone. And what, it, why, is why, that? why is that? Because it's such a hard thing to, you know that you're going to really impact someone's life by firing them. It's a devastating experience in most cases for the person being fired. So you want, I think, and also I find that when, when you fire someone and it's the right call, I wrote one blog called, you know, fired or freed. You're freeing them to find something that is a better fit for them. So in that firing conversation, I, I advise people to keep it very clear and very simple. Something like, 
you know, I've come to the conclusion, even though we've worked very hard at improving your, your skills and ability to do this job successfully, it's just no longer the right fit for this organization. Um, so starting Friday or starting now, whenever it is, we're no longer going to work together. And I thank you for all the good things you did to contribute, and I would name a few specific things. But right now, this is you know what we're going to do moving forward. You bring up such a great point. I think that sometimes leaders and managers have this overinflated sense of responsibility to transform other people and they get to feeling guilty or some sort of shame that I couldn't I couldn't turn them around that was my role that was my goal and I couldn't make it happen and I think there's a sense of failure when somebody has to be let go at least in the beginning stages of working your way through that I remember once somebody told me I think it was a marriage counselor was saying that when um, it's not right for one person in the marriage it's not right for the other person as well and I love your thoughts about, you know, if you fire them, you're also freeing them. It's sort of like we're, we're writing the universe by letting this get to its normal and, and best and highest state by, by severing this relationship. So now you can go on and do something that's important that is a better fit. We can get somebody who's a better fit. And it's, you know, it, it's not Pollyanna. It's all good. It's, it should be seen that way. Exactly. Yeah, you're so right, Dean. And I have some of these clients have come back and told me that the person they fired actually came back and thanked them later. And they ended up, you know, being able to have a relationship with the person. And that's what we want. We want to lead with our humanity in this situation. Know that we're doing the best we can for that person and for our company or our organization. You said something earlier, Jamie, that one of the other stress causers was delegation. Could you say more about that? Why is that on your list of conditions that can cause people to feel stressed out? That was one of my biggest challenges when I was a school principal. I was a terrible delegator. Oh my God, it was a disaster. I would ask my secretary to do something and I would kind of put it as a question. Um, do you think you could get to, think you could take care of this? I was just so miserable at it. And most people are, it's one of the hardest leadership skills. And it causes a lot of stress because we don't delegate it clearly enough. We don't delegate with time frame often. We don't delegate with clear enough instructions. We don't delegate so that the person knows what's within their authority. Like, when do I need to come back and check with you? Can I just run with this? All of that is very fuzzy. And I use a, a model in the book um, called the decision tree, which is not something I created. And I, I give a great explanation of that um, and show some examples. And there's also a lot of myths around delegation. We feel like, you know, we can do it better ourselves. I, I admit that I've been a control freak at many <laughs> times in my life. And I've had trouble delegating because I feel like I can do it better than anyone else. And because of, that was a big part of what made me a workaholic and made me overworking because no one was sharing the work with me, I was trying to take it all on my shoulders. So those are the, some, of, some of the things that create a lot of stress around delegation. Well, let's, if I could fast forward into today's world, we're still in the middle of COVID-19. It sounds like this is gonna stick around a while. And I hear that there's two big fears that we're facing. 
which is to be excluded and to lose control. And you mentioned that you were a control freak. I also am part of that club. I'm a lifelong member. <laughs> All right. Thanks for owning up to that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I, and I definitely feel like that's something that, but I know it triggers, it gets triggered with feeling out of control. And so my control freakness, if you will, gets exacerbated by feeling out of control. My stress goes up and I, I, I clamp down more. And so if that's true for me, and then we as a society are feeling out of control, do you think that in the business world that you are playing right now, given this environment of COVID-19, are people delegating less, meaning are they becoming more micromanaging in order to clamp down on that control that they've lost in this whole pandemic? And, and it, it, meaning, is there a if you were to have a, a kind of a graph, has the delegation gone down in your world that you see because people are trying to hold on to control? Well, I think you're very insightful to, to notice that that happens. I haven't seen that specifically with my clients because a lot of them don't have enough employees now to delegate to because they're kind of running the show solo. So that's changed their ability to delegate. But I will share personally, I was so glad and grateful that I was going through therapy with my first breast cancer diagnosis in 2001, because I became more controlling than usual, which was really bad for my, my team during that time. And my therapist was so brilliant in helping me see that I, my health was out of control. I felt I couldn't control that. And that made me more controlling in other ways. So you're so insightful to pick up on that. And I think every leader is different. You know, some people have more of an issue with control and with micromanaging than others. And being in my second book, Less Stress Life, I write about control and how that is one of the areas that triggers our stress. I have a list of 10 triggers in that book stress triggers and, and being out of, feeling it like you're out of control is one of those areas. I've been doing some webinars on stress and I do workshops when I can go in person and I use a two circle model to have people put inside the circle the things they can control about what their stress is and then outside the circle what they can't control. And that really helps people focus on differentiating between the two. Mm. That's great. I want to ask more about that in a second, but bouncing back and forth like a ping pong table. That's here. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to your story about the cancer, and you said it was a wake up call. A wake up call. Maybe you're not saying this, I'm saying this, but something about health and something about balance and something about how you manage stress. And because you've obviously turned that into a new business with your coaching and new books and so forth. So it was a springboard, it sounded like. Is this uh, COVID-19 a wake-up call en masse, meaning for all of us? You had an incident, incidents with cancer. Are we now all collectively, arm in arm, having our own wake-up call around stress? And if so, what's your take on that? I think we are if we're paying attention. I think it's a great opportunity for everyone to get in touch with what truly matters. 
what is most important to us in our lives, you know, relationships, connections, our health, whatever it might be, and really tune in to where that anxiety and stress is coming from. You know, a, a lot of my clients have been very stressed during this time. A lot of my family members, you know, I spend a lot of time talking with people about what's stressing them out. I've dealt with my own stress during this time. You know, is it safe to go someplace? Um, how can I protect myself best? Because I'm actually going through cancer treatment now with my third cancer diagnosis. So I'm one of those, I'm old and I'm also a vulnerable patient yeah. because of my immune system uh, being in chemotherapy right now for metastatic breast cancer. So I've had to face, you know, a lot of challenges and it's an opportunity to really pinpoint and understand our stress. And what I write about in my second book is how I have kind of a different take on stress. Uh, the second book is called Less Stress Life. And I have a different take on stress than the average person. I say, I mean, it's good to try and calm down with meditation and yoga, both practices which I've embraced in my life outside of a stressful moment, but in this book I write about, go instead of, in addition to that, I shouldn't say instead of, in addition to that, go face to face with your stress in the moment that you're feeling it. And that's when you can get in touch with what you care about in that moment, what's triggering your stress. And that's where the window opens to help us get better at managing our stress. And that's what I've, that's what I did leading up to that book for one year. I gave myself a challenge for one year to look for a moment of stress every single day. And then when I was in that moment to ask myself, how could I think differently in this moment? Or how could I behave differently in this moment to get my stress working for me instead of against me? That's fascinating. So most people would want to run away from stress. You're saying, let's go find it. Exactly. <laughs> That's and exactly then put what awareness I to it. That's incredible. I love that analogy, sort of leaning into it versus running away from it. And then, so, all right, let's get into that a little bit further. I guess my next question is then, what is it that makes us stress? What is the mechanics of stress? Like if you were to break it down into its tiniest piece, What's going on there inside of us that is the, the, the impetus that causes the downstream effect that we call, quote unquote, air quotes, stress? Because something happens prior to that. What is that? So I want to give credit to um, best-selling author Kelly McGonigal, who gave one of the top TED Talks called Make Stress Your Friend or something to that effect. And she wrote a great book, The Upside of Stress. And I love her definition of stress. Her definition is stress is what arises when something we care about is at stake. So Dean, I think what you're getting at is that when we find out, hmm, what do I care about in this moment? That's when we can kind of have that insight into what this stress is about. And I've taken that further in my book, Less Stress Life, and I have 10 stress triggers. And when we really look at these patterns, and I kept a journal for a year 
uh, over the, these stress moments I was experiencing every day. And believe me, there were moments every day. It wasn't hard to find them. I learned that time was one of my biggest sources of stress. And I had no idea how much stress I had around time. I got stressed if I was late for a meeting, if I was stuck in traffic. I rushed through things to get them done. And when I learned when I could take my time, things went a lot better. Like, this is a simple example. I hated changing the printer on my uh, printer cartridge for my printer. I just detested that task. I always have. And they, it always went badly. I always ended up with ink smeared hands and wasting paper. And it was, it was a disaster. And then I realized that if I did it when I had a lot of time on my hands and I took my time with it, I actually read the directions. It went beautifully. <laughs> and I was very calm about the whole process, which normally it wasn't like the biggest source of stress in my life, but it was such a more pleasant experience than it had been prior to this time. So, so going back to the definition that you had just provided, what in that example did you care about that was at stake? I cared about my time being used well, and I felt like changing that cartridge was not good use of my time. And I just was resentful. It even had like, how dare it run out? Like I, I really shouldn't have to spend my time doing this. Um, and I also cared about wasting paper because I, I try to have like a paper-free world around me and it killed me every time I would waste paper. So I cared about that. So those were the two main things that I cared about there. So is stress then based on your experience and this definition from this person that you just referenced in some ways a function of a fear of losing something you care about, even if it's time or yes. it could be a person or it could be your health or it could be exactly. a parking space. Exactly. And one of the things that my clients learn to do and I've learned to do is how to use that stress to help us. So I'll, I'll use public speaking as an example. Most people get very nervous and stressed about public speaking, and I used to get extremely stressed about it. Not, I still get some butterflies, but not so much anymore. What I've learned to do is to shift that stress that I'm feeling to use it as energy and think about it in a new way. So by becoming aware that that I do feel stress and feeling it in my body and whether it's butterflies or my stomach is doing somersaults or whatever it might be. And then I realize it's how we talk to ourselves that, oh, I'm feeling stressed about this talk. Hmm. Well, let me use this. Let me use this to energize me. This stress can energize me. So I'll give a great talk and not be lackluster and blah. I'll have a lot of energy to bring to this talk or this podcast interview that I'm doing. So it's how we think about our stress. A lot of our thinking gets in our way and we get in this downward spiral of negative self-talk that feeds the stress. And one of the things I help clients do, and you know, you know, as a coach, reframing is such a great strategy, is to take whatever that stress is and reframe it into something positive. It sounds like it's not just the stress, because I keep thinking that this is a result of something else. The stress is sort of the product of X, 
And what yes. is the X? And I go back to your definition again around fear of losing something at stake. My words, not yours. And so it's almost like to reframe what it is that we think we could lose or have a different relationship to it. Maybe we can let it go. Maybe we're fine if it does go. Whatever that dynamic is that causes the impetus for the stress to take place. Is, am I on the same page? Yes. So to go back to the public speaking example, so yeah. I had one of the biggest talks I gave stressed me out the most because I was getting the biggest uh, payment for this talk. And that was causing more stress because I felt like the bar was higher because I was receiving such a large sum of money to give this talk. So I was even more stressed out than usual. I had to think about, you know, gee, where was this stress coming from? And it was coming from wanting to hit it out of the park for the person who hired me, who I cared about and wanted to do the best job for, who happened to be a client of mine. And I wanted to show him that I could really nail this talk. And also for my own reputation, I felt was staked on this talk. And in leading up to that and working through my own stress, realizing that those were the things I cared about, it occurred to me that I also cared about the audience and I cared about them having a great experience and a lot to take away and learn from my talk. And when I was able to shift from, you know, my performance to their experience and their learning, I actually went through this exercise before taking the stage. I envisioned the spotlight being on them and not okay. being on me. And I have to say it was one of the best talks I ever gave. It was at five o'clock on a Saturday after they had been in a conference all day. That was the other thing I feared. Like, how am I going to hold their attention at five o'clock on a Saturday? And I really? tell you, it was one of the best talks ever. And I, I had to really work on myself leading up to that because it was probably the most nervous I had been about a talk ever in my life. This is great. I love this. We could talk on this all day. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this. I really find that what I'm picking up among many things is to identify the mechanics of the source of stress. And your comment about looking for where it's showing up in my day, I think is brilliant. And I would like to maybe ask if you have any sort of like a closing idea from all of us who might be listening to this episode, is there something in the beginning of our day that could set the tone for the day that has to do with how we manage our stress? Any ideas? Absolutely. So I live by the ocean in New Jersey. I see the ocean every day. I'm very fortunate. And in writing my second book, Less Stress Life, it occurred to me that stress is like the waves in the ocean. It will keep coming. And you will face stress today. That's part of being alive. So there will be a moment today. You could tell yourself that as a practice in the morning. There will be a moment today where I will experience stress. But just like the waves in the ocean, we have choices when we're in the ocean. We can dive through the waves. We can ride on top of them. Or we can decide it's too rough and sit on the beach. And stress is the same. We have options in how we manage our stress, which is what I write about in the second book, how to come up with those options. And I have a method for that. So it's recognizing every day there will be stress. And in the face of that stress, 
we each have choices in how we want to handle the stress. Wonderful. Jamie, how can people connect with you? Um, they could go to my website, which is lessstresscoach.com. And your two books, again, are called? Less Stress Business, A Guide for Hiring, Coaching, and Leading Great Employees, and Less Stress Life, How I Went from Crazed to Calm, and You Can Too. And of course, all this information will be in our you know, podcast uh, description around this episode. So thank you so much. This has just been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and, and all the good work that you do. Well, thank you, Dean, for your really insightful questions that got me talking. I enjoyed our conversation <laughs> so much. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.